things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the latest edition of the Stephen A. Smith Show. We're here in my studio thanks to our official studio sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sports betting company of the Stephen A. Smith Show. My guest is the director of the big screen blockbusters training day, replacement killers, and Brooklyn's finest. His latest film is the third installment in the Equalizer franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about a film director extraordinaire and producer, Hollywood director and producer extraordinaire, my brother, the one and only Antoine Fuqua. What's going on, big time? How are you, man? I'm good, brother. Always good to talk to you. You know, I got to give you real props, man. I got to give you your props, man, because the other day, you know, I mean, you know, you behind the scenes and you film, you know, you you directing and you producing, but I didn't know how well you were going to be on camera. But when you showed up on ESPN's first take the other day, I mean, I got to give it to you, my brother. You you you, you did all right. I, 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 was, I was quite pleased, my man. The camera didn't phase you at all being in front of the camera. How'd you like it? Hey. Uh, it's cool, but I, I stay behind the camera. But I, I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let Denzel and you handle that. <laughs> I got you. I got you. You know, the Equalizer Three is out in theaters. Obviously, you know. Um, I, I want to know what your thoughts are about it. I, how did you like filming it? Uh, I know you said this is the last installment of it. How are you feeling about the work that you've done? You know, brother, I had a great time filming it. Man, it was a dream come true to be able to you know, take Denzel internationally, you know, because a lot of times, you know, back in the day, you used to hear that we don't travel, you know, as far as our uh, our movie star being black. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was fantastic to be able to take him international, man, and, you know, uh, film in Italy, a beautiful place, as you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> on the Mediterranean and all that, and uh, in Rome and in Naples, you know, and I'm proud of the work we did, man. You know, um, we got it done. And it's a nice way to say, uh, you know, Goodbye, child, mm. to Robert McCall. You know what I'm saying? When, when, when you still want to say goodbye to Robert McCall and what have you, what, what's the need to say goodbye to him for at this particular juncture, considering how sensational Denzel is, considering what a following the Equalizer franchise has has has, has provoked? Um, what's the what's the need to say goodbye for? Why do you feel? Why did you make that decision? I mean, you know, three's a three's a magic number, right? That's a it's a spiritual number, man, and also. We, uh, you know, I think we've explored Robert McCall as much as we can, you know, um, at this point in his life. Mm -hmm. uh, as you and I talked about before, you know, one was really about finding purpose. You know, what was his purpose after leaving the CIA and all that? And then two was really about, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the past, you know, um, the death of Susan, the death of his wife, the betrayal of his partners. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Three is really about finding a place, man, finding home and finding some peace. Mm. You know, and it felt like this one was about finding peace, you know, um, 
and a good way to say goodbye. You know, uh, you can only do but so much with these characters, and then you got to, you know, mm-hmm. start with the prequel. Now, a lot of people talk about sequels and stuff like that. I'm thinking prequel because you just brought that up. And, and yeah. when I think prequel, I, I mean, I, I got a particular name in mind. I mean, do you, sir? Do you? I mean, is there somebody when you think about a prequel, a prequel to to, to Robert McCall with Denzel Washington coming in the fold? I mean, is there somebody in mind that you would think about doing a prequel with that interests you? Oh, for sure. You know, Denzel's son. All right. Know? John David Washington. John David. Yeah, he would he would be amazing. But also Michael B. Jordan, right? You yeah. Know, either one of those can, can kill it. Denzel's son, uh, I'll call him by his own name, John David, because, okay. you know, he's doing his own thing by his own right, right, um, as a movie star. I think he would be amazing, and it would be a, a special once-in-a-lifetime thing to do something like that, you know, a, a father and son. Mm. Um, Michael B. brings his strengths, you know, and, and all his uh, acting ability as well. And physical ability that would be fantastic as well. You know, either one of those dudes, I'd be happy with. Let me ask you this question, man. As as, as a film director and a, and, and a producer, what do you look for when you're looking at a talent to put on screen? What are the what's what's the criteria for you personally that really really makes it resonate in your mind? First is just the acting skills, right? It, it all starts from the bottom up, man. Like your your craft, you know your um your um pedigree mm-hmm. right and that's the thing that starts it for me if, you, if you're serious about what you're doing uh the craft of acting mm-hmm. and then it's, it's then there's a magic that some people have um it, the camera loves them you know and there's something that they have that draws people in mm-hmm. um it's a special connection it's hard to explain it i know it when i see it i, I know when i even see it, if there's an extra or, or a person is not even an actor that's around if they got something about them, if they if they're brave enough to get in front of the camera. And by the way, you did a great job, you know, you and your man in that commercial. <laughs> I love it, man. I love, I love it. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get an acting bug going someday. I mean, it'll happen someday soon. I'm not, I, I don't, I don't think I'm shabby, but I'll never be the people that you've worked with. You know, the Denzels and the Ethan Hawks of the world, Gerard Butlers of the world, Morgan Freemans. Because Olympus has fallen. You did that movie too. That's one of my, that's one of my favorite movies over the last decade. So, I mean, spectacular movie as far as I'm concerned. I absolutely, positively loved it. But I, I guess what I'm asking is. So you see something like that in the Denzel, right? Obviously, it's there. We all see it because this is Denzel we're talking about here. When you see the talent that exists out there, sometimes as a sports guy, we look at Jordan and then we saw LeBron on a come up. We saw Kobe on a come up before LeBron, et cetera, et cetera. As a director and producer, when you see the greatness of a Denzel, the Ethan Hawks of the world, the Morgan Freemans of the world, are there people that stand out in your mind? I know John David Washington's got to be one of them. I think Michael B. Jordan's got to be another one of them. But aside from those two names, is there, is there talent that's out there that you're looking at right now? You're saying, this is special. We need to, we need to take, you know, people need to know about these people. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I see it. It's, 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 it's a similar thing like sports, right? I mean, you see talent. And there are a few people out there that I'm, I'm kind of watching. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to say who yet, sure. but I'm watching. Okay. But the question is, it's just like in sports, are you going to develop right the right way? Mm. You know, you got the talent, but are you going to really develop the right way? Are you going to really put that work in? Are you going to go through theater and really, you know, sharpen that, you know, that skill? 
Um, that's the thing that I'm looking at the most right now, because there's a lot of young people out there that have some talent, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if a lot of them are going to rely on their looks because they have it, or are they going to allow themselves to um, become a great actor and not worry about being a movie star? Because, mm. you know, movie stars are rare. We only got a handful of movie stars. Denzel Washington, obviously, being that, um, he'll tell you he's just a great actor. Mm. You know, yeah, he's big on that. When, whenever he and I talk, uh, he actually, he, he, he can't stand it when some somebody will speak to his popularity. They'll speak to, you know, the, the effect or the impact that he has. His thing is, he's about the work. And and yeah. and in the, and the few conversations I've had with him over the years, that's where, and you too, that's where, see, I, I, one thing I know that's, I, I, I often say this, Antoine, I'm brilliant because I know I'm not. I simply listen and learn from those who are. That's what I'm saying. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to him. And y'all, y'all are about putting your head down and just doing the work. And and yeah. you are he his whole he's a working actor. You are a working producer and director. That's who you are. And the stardom, you don't care too much about. Where does that come from? Uh you know what, man? I came, I came from sports myself just as a kid, you know, growing up playing ball and all that, you know, grinding. And, you know, as you know, there's no other way uh, on the road of greatness uh, unless you grind. Mm. You know, like my man, Ali, right? That's yeah. my that's my hero, man. You know, right. he, he didn't like putting in the work, but he knew he had to put in the work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you're just putting your head down and not getting caught up in who might be in front of you or who's getting more hype than you or whatever that is. You just got to keep grinding and doing the work. That's the only way to hone in on those skills. And it's the only way to really make something worth making. Mm. Um, So I think it comes from sports for me, uh, putting in that work coming from Pittsburgh, you know, there's nothing flashy about it. Mm. Uh, Flashiness comes later. We get one premiere. We get to put on some nice gear for night. And then, you know, you roll your sleeves back up and get back on the grind again. You know, how um, how does it make you feel when we, we we live in a society today and obviously you had actors and actresses and then we see reality TV and that's right. not necessarily really, really acting, even though those folks are incredibly popular and they make a lot of money as yeah. a director and a producer. Does one's popularity factor in? To your willingness to give somebody a look because there is an audience to be fed. You definitely want to you want to you want to ingratiate yourself with an audience so they'll support your product. Right. How much does that play a role in the decision making process to elect to pick somebody to be in a film, for example? Does that play any role at all? Uh, For some, it does. Not for me. Not at all. I mean, if you can't act, man, I'm not going to sacrifice the whole movie. You know, right. somebody will come in and stink up the joint right. and it distract you from the story. You know, um, it's it's happened before where the studios wanted somebody popular uh, to balance out maybe the darkness of the film. Mm. But uh, if I was going to ever do that, I would get somebody popular that I know can handle the work, mm. uh, even if they're not at that time uh, focused on acting. Snoop and Dre in Training Day yeah. is a great example of that, you know, like. They didn't want Ethan Hawke in the movie at one point. They wow. wanted uh, more popular actors. Understandable because, you know, the money and all that. But I wanted a great actor because I knew I, I couldn't have somebody not able to hold their own next to Denzel. 
Right. That was just never going to happen. He wouldn't let that happen either. But I, in order to get Ethan, the deal I made was I'm going to get Dre. I'm going to hit Dre up and I'm going to hit Snoop up. So Snoop made sense for the character that was written. And I knew he could handle that. And I knew Dre could handle it. Dre wasn't exactly thrilled about playing a cop until I told him what kind of cop was. <laughs> exactly. He was like, so you're a road cop. You're a road cop. <laughs> <laughs> Dre was like, nah, homie, I ain't doing that. I said, no, I'm He going to throw the cornrows in. He's, you know, he's a part of that crew. But they're dirty. And uh, he's like, all right, I'm with that. Let's get down. Mm. But that helped the movie as well, having them in it. They were obviously uh, highly popular. Snoop, uh, Snoop and Dre, right. but I did it because it was the right thing and it fit the story. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Training day was in 2001, if I remember correctly. Here we are in the year 2023. What's different about Antoine Fuqua now compared to what he was then, 22 years ago? Uh, you mean besides not having hair? Yeah, how about that? Besides not having hair. Hey, listen, at least at least you were brave enough to let it go. I'm still holding on to it with my George Jefferson looking stuff. I'm still holding on to it, Antoine. I'm trying to hold on to it. You good, Holy Spirit. You good. Don't stop nothing. You know um, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm Stephen. I'm, I'm much calmer. Mm. Um, I, I think I, I uh, I'm much deeper in my thinking as far as the material and um, the mythology and the method and the process uh, of making movies. I understand the studio system a little bit better, you know, and their politics as well. Being able to navigate my way through that, you know, at times and understanding it is a business. It is show business. And so I, I'm, I think I'm much more uh, astute of that. Um, and I think I'm a better craftsman, for sure, um, as far as the work goes. Um, so, yeah, those things definitely are different um, than what I was then. I was all gut and fire then. Mm. you know. So now I think I'm using my head a little bit more uh, and, uh, as a film. And why do you believe you were more gut and fire back then? I mean, I remember reading a story about you. Obviously, you're from Pittsburgh. They said you were shot at the age of 15. You've gone through a lot in your life. I really would like you to share with our listeners, our viewers and listeners, you know, the kind of life you felt in your words that you went through and how that played the role in that fire that you had in your belly earlier on in your years. Yeah, you know, um, when I was young, man, I, you know, we had, I mean, some people call it angry issues, you know, and I was just full of fire because, you know, I wanted to win, you know, and I grew up in an environment where, you know, losing just wasn't an option, um, whether that be, you know, and I'm the oldest of four. Mm. So, and I had to hold it down. I got two sisters and a brother, you know, sisters, they can, ooh, yeah. man. I got four of them. I got four of them. I know what you're talking about. I got four older sisters. I know exactly man. what you're talking about. Yeah, man, I step off the bus and hands just go right up because somebody <laughs> was talking some trash and normally it was them starting it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's like, man, so I had that in me. And um, and playing ball, you know, I mean, I'm six foot, you know, and then I'm, I was the point guard. And obviously the guards were getting bigger. They were like, your height. Right. You know, falling out. And so I had to be aggressive to get a spot to do my thing. You know, that's how I wound up going to West Virginia State and all that. Right. That same aggression 
um, could get you in trouble. So when I was younger, you know what I mean? And talking back yeah. and mom, you know, moms was like, you know, go to the store, get some macaroni cheese, thunder and lightning outside. Man, I ain't going to the store. You know, I'm talking. My grandmother said, God don't like ugly. Mm. I'm like, oh, grandma, here you go with that old Southern, you know, yep. I run out the door, boy, hit that corner. Dude started lighting up the alleyway. I was just happened to be the guy cutting through the alleyway, wow. going to AM supermarket, mm-hmm. watching uh, telephone poles splinter all around me, man. I cut at the AMP supermarket. I'm standing there shaking, you know, and blood started dripping on the floor, you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like, it was the moment where I didn't think about myself, Stephen, at all. Mm-hmm. I only thought about the women in my life, by the way. I thought about my mother, my cousins, my grandmother, them standing over a casket which I've done many times yeah. with my friends yeah. and smelling, oh, you know, the embalming fluid, smelling flowers. Mm-hmm. I, I felt all that at that moment. And I was like more afraid for them and the pain I was going to cost them than me dying. Mm-hmm. I wasn't afraid of dying. I was afraid of what it was going to do to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that changed me a lot, man. That made me rethink my attitude. It made me rethink where I wanted to be in my life. And it sort of stays with me now, you know, to be able to um, be a little calmer, be a little uh, kinder. Um, don't take life for granted, you know, and it could be over in a second, even if you didn't do anything wrong. I did a lot wrong. Right. Trust me. back then. But this time I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm. You know, the store was getting robbed up the street and he just saw a few black kids running down the alley. He just let go. Yeah. So, you know. That that changed me quite a bit, Steve. That that affected my life in a profound way, and I think a lot about that now. And, and 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 you think about it now? Why? Just you know, I, I try to um, remember that I could turn a corner, and it could be it. Mm-hmm. You know, I won't get to make another movie. I won't get to talk to you. You know, see my friends and, and see my family, see my children. Mm-hmm. So you know, I try to, I try to. As you, if look, I try to have a vision to see around the corner so I can appreciate the moments I'm in. So if I'm making a film and I'm having a rough day and everything's going wrong and and the uh, and, and God decides I'm gonna throw a little rain, I'm gonna throw a little hurricane at you. You're gonna be shooting in the swamp. I gotta remember those are all blessings, and I gotta sit back and let life do what it's gonna do. Mm-hmm. Uh, check myself. But no, when I get the opportunity, when the window opens up, I go hard. I go as hard as I can. Mm. I give it everything I got until the whistle blows, until it's over. How do you feel when you run across folks? And, and I'm asking this on a personal level because particularly black folks, you know, we, we, we love all human beings. We don't hate anybody. Uh, but yeah. damn it, I mean, I, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm partial to my own. I ain't apologizing for, to anybody for that. I don't want anyone to fail. I don't want anybody not to have their joy. But as a black yeah. man, I certainly, I, I, I'm not going to apologize for rooting for Antoine Fuqua more than I root for uh, Martin Scorsese or somebody or even Jerry Bruckheimer, who I revere and respect and all of that stuff. Because I, mm-hmm. I, I, I would love to see more of us doing it. But I also know that because of the hard work that I'm willing to put in, the trials and tribulations that people like myself, you and others are willing to endure, I, I don't have patience for laziness. You can try hard and work and it may not work out today, but it may work out better tomorrow. But when you're lazy and, and you're cutting corners, 
it does something to me, especially when it comes from one of us, because we know what obstacles we have to face. What's your mentality in situations like that? When you encounter people that might have potential, but you look at them and you're like, wait a minute, that work ethic, that commitment to excellence, that, 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 that desire to be as close to perfection as you could possibly get simply just ain't there. How do you handle that? You know, if they're working for me, for example, when I'm on a set and let's say it's a PA and they're doing their job and I, and I peep it that they're lazy and then I need them to do something for me and they half-ass it. I'll check them. Like I'll let them know your name's on this as well Mm. forever. Give it all you got, even as a PA. Yeah. Because no, that's going to set, that's going to set the pace and it's going to set the standards for wherever you're trying to go. Right. And if you don't have that, then you shouldn't be around me and you shouldn't work for me because I'm going to keep pushing it. But I can't make you want it. I tell my kids, I can't make you want it. I can kick open the doors as much as I can and lay it out in front of you as much as I can. But you got to want it. And if you don't have that, then find something else to do. That's how I I deal with it. You know, Um, and I see it a lot. I see great talent. And sometimes what I realize, Stephen, is that. Some of them are lazy, really lazy, and some of it's fear. Mm. Fear, fear of what? Is the fear, fear of what? Oh, man, fear of failure. Mm-hmm. Fear that you're going to get embarrassed. Fear that people won't talk about you, you know, laugh at you. Yeah. Hey, that's all part of the journey. Yeah. That, you know, you go, what's the saying? You pray for the rain, you got to deal with the mud. That's right. Absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. And so yeah. being in Hollywood, and having that kind of mentality and living in the times that we're living in, are you enthused and excited about the opportunities that lie down the road just for the communities at large and the kind of opportunities that are available? Are you hype? Are you hyper excited about it? Or do you look at the climate that we're living in and you find yourself being a bit more concerned than excited? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. But it's a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. A little bit of both. You know, what I worry about the most, I see talent and I see people doing some amazing things. And I see the minds expanding, especially our people, creatively of what we can achieve and do. Um, I worry sometimes that um, with that responsibility, we may be moving. Some people, not everybody, mm-hmm. but I'll give an example. You know, there's we, we got to pull each other up, but we got to make each other accountable. And when we pull each other up, make sure that person is ready to be there. Because what happens is you take a young cat and you want to move them through the system real fast because you want to put one of us in that position. We can't fail like some people can fail. Right. That's the thing I worry about the most is that you move too fast. You don't have the, the pedigree. You don't have this, the, the work ethic or, the, or even just the knowledge yet to be in that position. And then when you get there, you fail. And then for us, well, see, they can't do it. Mm. They're not good enough. Right. That's what I worry about the most. And they don't isolate us. They don't, like, like, they don't say he can't do it or she can't do it. They say 
they can't do it because one person didn't do it. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing I worry about the most. I am excited about it. I am excited about the opportunities uh, that I see us as a people getting. Uh, but I do worry that uh, we have to make sure that we are taking full responsibility of those opportunities and being professional yeah. about those opportunities and delivering the goods mm-hmm. until the end. And by the way, I wanted to interject because I want I want you to tell your audience what your definition of professional is being professional. Educate folks about what exactly that means to somebody of your stature and your caliber. It all starts with trying to have an understanding of. The business, what's the business of filmmaking, right? There's obviously people putting money into a creative process. And sometimes it it will clash. You have to be able to have emotional intelligence and also to be able to step back and try to understand the positions of the people putting the money into this. You know, they're trying to get an investment back on on your art if -hmm. if you're a director. Mm -hmm. So you got to understand that. So a lot of times you got cats coming at you with ideas and wanting to change something in the stories and wanting to, you know, beat you up a little bit about the money. Right. You, you have to be able to discuss it with them in a very clear, calm, professional way so that they understand where you're coming from, you understand where they're coming from, and you can come to some sort of understanding to then get what you want. And then if you don't get what you want, you have to be able to then um, adjust, right? You got to be like a quarterback. Yeah, You just got to adjust. You know what I mean? You want to throw a bomb and you can't. You got to throw it short. Sure, a little little, little drop pass, whatever it is. You know, it it was a big deal for me, man, to personalize it a little bit. I remember when ESPN let me go in 2009 over a contract dispute. I didn't feel that way then. But a couple of years later, I felt like it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I thought I was the man because people were screaming my name in the streets and I was on the side of bus stops and there was a few commercials out there and and everybody telling me I'm the man. But I didn't master my business and I didn't think about ratings, revenue, Q scores, these focus groups and the kind of ratings they give you and what role that plays in them measuring your cachet and what they bring to the table. And so as a result, they had data and all I had was emotion. And the second I transitioned and learned more about my business, the greatest thing it ever did to me, Antoine Fuqua, is that it allowed me to depersonalize stuff. All of a sudden, something wasn't about racism. It wasn't about bias and prejudice. It was like I was doing exactly what you just explained. I'm like, okay, well, they said this. Do they have a point? Yeah, my numbers are here, but it could be here. Yeah, the ratings are here, but it could be here. You know, so the money they offering is this commiserate with the kind of cachet that I bring to the table. And all of a sudden, when I started making those decisions, you know what happened? They actually wanted to talk to me more because I was speaking their language and I wasn't speaking with emotion. And it changed my it changed the trajectory of my career. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? Yeah, I've been there, you know. I, I got fired off American Gangster, man. Oh, man. That day kills me. Because, you know, that was a script that Brian Grazer gave to me to, to look at. I read it. I said, oh, man, we just did training day. Right. Got an academy board, man. I'm like, okay. Got that. Read the script. 
Because they Denzel wouldn't commit to that script. Okay. I called D. I said, D, take a read, read the script, man. American. It was actually called True Blue. Okay. D, he read it. You know, he has some notes on it. He said, well, you want to do it? I said, yeah, I want to do this, D. He goes, let's do it then. All right, I'm in. This is American Gangster. This is American Gangster after American you did Gangster. Training Day. After you did Training Day. After with Russell I did Crow. Training Day, right? So we, you know, I'm feeling myself a little bit, you know. And uh, so I, I got the movie, got D going. We prepping the movie. I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks before shooting this film. I'm in New York prepping this movie. Mm. Universal come to me and said, uh, we got to cut the budget. And I'm like, man, cut the budget. You know, I'm at 96, whatever the number was. Cut it down to what? To like 85, 82, 83. Man, I'm like, no, I, I need all that money. I ain't cutting the budget. You know, I'm pumping my chest up. And right. They want me to do all that shit. I'm fighting them back on it. Denzel, at that point, was he, he was away. He hadn't come back yet in town. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm dealing with Universal, and I'm emotional about it. I'm thinking, it's, you know, it's me and Denzel, man. Give us what we need. Eventually, they fired me. Right. Wow. Two weeks before shooting. Right. Now, I didn't think it was fair. I don't think it's fair now, but I don't think I handled it well. Right. Right. And so there was business that was happening that I didn't see. I wanted Denzel and Benicio Del Toro. I had cast Benicio already. Yeah. They had already shot the born identity with Matt Damon. OK. Right. Nobody. I didn't see the movie, but. They really wanted Matt Damon in Denzel. Mm. Right. But that was the business of it that I didn't see. I said, no, nah, I want Benicio and Denzel. Right. They were running numbers on Denzel's movies and Benicio's movies. And in this movie that they knew it was going to be a, a smash. They wanted to put Matt in that position. But I didn't find that out until after they fired me. Right. The motive was because I wasn't really listening. Mm. I didn't hear what they had to say. Right. And, and that was a huge mistake on my part. I would handle it completely different now and make that movie. Eventually, they, they made the movie with Ridley Scott, Denzel, and, and Russell Crowe. Crow, Russell Crowe, yes. Yeah. Now, the movie did wind up costing over $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> But they gave them the money. Right, they gave them the money, not you, right? <laughs> yeah, but, but Ridley and Russell had just won Academy Award for Gladiator and then all that. And they had, um, you know, they ran the numbers, man, and it is what it is at the time. So that was a great lesson for me to sit back. Because I started finding out about the business then. And, and remember, GE owned Universal. Mm-hmm. You know, and I had ideas, man. I was like, well, the drugs was flying in on the, on the president's plane. <laughs> it's true, right? Yes. They were hiding it on. <laughs> yeah. like, can't put that in the movie. <laughs> yeah, like, you can't put it. No. No, go ahead. The White House calling you. You know what I'm saying? Oh, right. CNN looking for you. Everybody hey, trying to break down the United States government. That's what they said. <laughs> man, but it was a lesson of like, Sit back, listen, see where they're coming from. You know, calm down. Because they want to win, too. I mean, it's their money. They want to win. They right. want to win this, you know, just as much as we do. Yeah. So. You know, you were on a basketball scholarship at, West, what is it, West Virginia? Is that correct? I mean, you went to University? And then I transferred to WVU. Yeah. Okay. So um, no regrets whatsoever about, uh, about not having an athletic career? Or was that even your objective when you went to college? It was my objective, okay. objective, man. I, I wanted to, I wanted to ball out. You know, I grew up watching sports and you know, and playing mm-hmm. ball. Right. Uh, uh, but again, man, I, I was, I was quick to see what was happening. You know, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I, I had game. I was quick and I can dunk. So I, you know, I played up in Harlem and Mount Morris Park and all that, man. You know, right. I was balling. But man, 
when I start seeing these young boys, it was like your height would handle <laughs> and peeping over my head. I was like, it's, it's not going to happen. You know I, mean? <laughs> I got to find another avenue, I gotta, man. I got to find another avenue. I got to find another avenue, you know? Yeah. You I know, feel so you. That was, you know, was over. I, I, I got you. But as you, as you, as you look back on that and then you think about where you are right now, what, if anything, do you believe you missed? I don't know if you've missed anything, but we're all human beings. We must have missed something along the way. Like you just brought up American Gangster. That, that's yeah. a missed opportunity. Is there something else that stands out as conspicuously as that when it comes to a potential missed opportunity? No, not really, man. I think God has a path for us all. You know, um, there was a lot of talk a while ago about me doing Black Panther, but that was way before it was popular to be black mm. in Hollywood. Um, and, you know, the cartoon version of it wasn't appealing to me. You know, I just grew up watching Apocalypse Now and Goodfellas and Mean Streets and those type of films. I like things a little more gritty and grounded. I believe that opportunity wasn't missed because it wasn't for me. It was for Ryan Coogler and Ryan killed it. Yes, he did. So I, God had a plan for Ryan to come in and do that movie, not me, you know. Uh, so I, I don't feel like I missed it. I feel like that's not something God had in plan for me. How uh, how does it feel when you see yourself, you see Ryan Coogler, you see Spike Lee, obviously, he's won an Oscar, you know, you think about what he did with the Five Bloods. We hear about, uh, you. we know about people on the come up. We saw Michael B. Jordan just, you know, d- direct his own, you know, Creed Three, which I was in. You know, I made a cameo appearance yeah, in that I movie. Saw that. I made a cameo appearance. Well, that wasn't any acting. That was just me being me. He came on the set of first take and everything. I'm not taking any credit for that. I just did my brother a favor. But I want to know that in the year 2023, um, when you see these opportunities and you see more than a few blacks doing their thing. How excited are you about that? Is this a fad? Is this something that's here to stay in your mind based on your experience, what you know about Hollywood, et cetera, et cetera? What is your feeling about that? I don't think it's a fad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's here to stay. Um, I'd like to see more, you know, and I'd like to see more uh, doing things, doing different things, you know. Um, I'd like to see who's going to do an avatar, Mm. you know, uh, I want to see that type. I want to see that type of Spielberg type of black actor who who does those big, uh, block, blockbuster, um, visual effects movies. You know, I want to see us going and, you know, I don't, what my dream is, Steven, is that we can at one point stop saying Spike's a black director. Antoine's a black. Yeah. Because, we don't talk about Spielberg that no, way. That's true. We don't talk about Martin Scorsese that way. We don't talk about Oliver Stone that way. They're just great directors. Correct. Poor solid. Just great master filmmakers. And so one day they'll just say our name just as a director. Mm. And that's the dream. So I'm hoping that more come through and maybe that's for the next generation. I think you've already achieved that dream. They don't sit up there and call you a black director. They call you Antoine Fuqua, period. That's what they say. And it's simple as that. Do you know, I mean, I think that, I think you've reached that plateau. Do you believe you've reached that plateau? Yeah, I do. I do. Because of the things I'm offered from the studios. Mm -hmm. You know, they offer me, you know, everything. So it's not always about race or color or anything. It's just a, it's just a story as a director. I do believe 
Um, but I've been working hard for a long time on that. Yeah. You know, I started music videos and Steven for a while right. and I loved doing music videos back then, but I couldn't do Madonna. I didn't get Aerosmith. Yeah. You know, the reason I wanted to do those videos because they were getting a million dollar budgets. I was getting 100000 wow. maybe one twenty five, right? So when those cats were doing those huge rock videos and all, I was like, give me some money. Let me, let me, let me go at it. So I stopped doing videos for a while and just did commercials because commercials, there's no color. Whether it's, you know, Ferrari or George Armani or Pirelli, whatever. You know, I was just doing those commercials mm. so that my reel at the time when you had to send your reel in, you couldn't just put a color on it, right? So I've been fighting that battle for a while to just bust out of that box to just say, just consider me just a director mm-hmm. the way you would anyone else, you know, and let me do the work, you know? You've done about five films with Denzel Washington. Um, Training Day obviously was a huge, huge deal for you. Your first film was Replacement Killers. That was a damn good movie, by the way. Let's not forget that in the late 90s. Let's not forget that, I think, 1995, Dangerous Minds with Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, you know, you you... If I remember correctly, Jerry Bruckheimer came to you and asked you to produce that music video, Coolio's music video, on you know, you know, because of that movie, uh, Dangerous Minds. All right, Gangsters Paradise, to be exact, in terms of the video that you uh, you 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 directed. What's your biggest opportunity? Would you classify it as that that Jerry that call from Jerry Bruckheimer, or the call to do Training Day with Denzel? I think they're both significant. Okay. Jerry definitely put me in the movie game that way because, you know, that's when the agents start calling me after that. Uh, I didn't have an agent until then. I was working on propaganda films, doing commercials and videos. Wow. But that got me going with the agents. CAA called me, uh, uh, William Moore's ICM and all that. Yep. Uh, so that's Jerry definitely put me on there. That's my, that's my dude. I love Jerry. Yeah, he's um, great. Yeah, man. But when... um cat named David Unger was my agent at the time. And he called me and said, I found your, your movie. Cause he knew me. He knew me from propaganda. He, right. he worked propaganda. And I, he said, you should read it right away. I read training day, man. And a couple hours called him up. I said, I got to do this movie. Right. And by the way, am I wrong in saying this? Everybody was in there. One actors. Cause I remember when uh, 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 Ethan Hawke was, was looking for Denzel. You know, when he was in an apartment with Eva Mendez, I don't want to get too distracted, but I just need to say that Eva Mendez, okay? I mean, I mean, I remember when near the end of the movie and you had cats clapping on the roof. You understand what I'm saying? To let them know the cops was coming. Not the, at least the first time he went there. At nighttime when he went there, you had cats. And I know some of them were actors, but some of them looked like, you know, they, they, they were really from that neighborhood. I mean, it was like that. It seemed as real as it could get. Is that an accurate depiction? Oh, yeah. It's as real as it could get. Everybody in those scenes, everybody in those scenes were bloods in that scene. Wow. The only one who was an actor who wasn't even an actor then, I just saw him and I gave him an opportunity, was Terry Crews. Yeah. Yeah, on the roof flipping pigeons. That's right. Everybody was a blood in that scene. Wow. Real deal. Mm. My boy Bone, Hitman, you know, Loco, all those cats. And then when I shot at uh, Nickerson Garden, when they, when they shot out the car with Macy Gray. Yep. All those cats on the streets are Crips. Mm. Like, for real. Yeah, man. You know, so, so you made sure to get both of them in the film. Both of them. Oh, yeah. And, oh, the, yeah. and the Mexicans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. El, um, El Salvadorians and all those other cats, man. When they go up the steps with smiling, those guys, obviously those are actors at the table. Right. With Ethan, um, except for one of them. Yep. 
shit pushed in. He's an actor yeah, now. Yeah, he's an actor now, but not then. Yeah, not then. Right. Going up those steps, man, the little, little, the little young boy that came up to uh, uh, Ethan and said, you know where you at, Holmes? That's right. For real. I don't even think he's with us anymore mm. right now. Wow. Yeah, it might be, but a lot of those cats aren't with us anymore, man. And but, um, that's a real depiction of what life was is, is like, and I get that, and I totally appreciate that. Did they appreciate it? Did they appreciate being brought into that world by you, by Denzel, by the whole production? Thousand percent, man. Couldn't have done it without them. Like you know, we sat down ahead of time and had real conversations, and I, and I said to them. This is for your kids, man. This is for the legacy of your children to see something positive, to sort of be a part of something positive in film. But I need your help. So Bone would go and chop it up with these cats and we would sit down, man, you know, yeah. and have a real conversation. You know, Big U and those dudes were all cool. Yeah. They said, yeah, you know, come through. We had no problems. Not one. We had one problem. Check this out. Okay. G-Rod got stolen. What? Man, the G at the jungle. Okay. Right? I called up a few cats. They said, don't worry about it. It'll be here in the morning. <laughs> All right. I came to the set. It was there, clean and polished, detailed. Wow. Whoever the cat was that stole it, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know what happened to him. Plain and simple. But it, was there, it was there that morning, though. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Antoine yeah. Fuqua, man, before I let you get on out of here, um, it's been a long ride, and you've achieved some great things, some unprecedented things compared uh, to most most directors and producers in this game. How much longer are you planning on doing this? Do the wheels fall off, man? Yeah. Do the wheels fall off? Absolutely, yeah. man. Ridley Scott's directing uh, Gladiator 2 now. I think Ridley's 85. Wow. Yeah, yeah Martin Scorsese's definitely in his 70s. Yep. Yeah, man, till the wheels fall off. You know, what do you think is next for you? Action, thrillers, and stuff like that. That's your MO. You do all of those things. Um, but but is there anything that you haven't done specifically that you want to delve into? Yeah, man. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do something without any guns, for sure. Right. Right. Without any pilots. Um, Michael Jackson is the one right now that I'm, I'm working on yep. with uh, Grand Pay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's down the line, but... I'm really excited about that, brother. Really and, excited and, and by the way, hell of a job with Jeannie Buss and the Lakers. You did that Thank too. You, hell of a job with that. Let's not forget that. You understand what I'm saying? Not that HBO stuff on the Lakers. I'm talking about your <laughs> stuff on the Lakers. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, we got it right. We got that in me. Thanks for the love too on, on your shout out. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the, listen, man, one, one of the great honors of my career has, has been getting to know you and to be able to call you a friend. And I haven't earned it yet, but one of these days I'm going to pull it off. Uh, me, I, I'm going to be working with Antoine Fuqua one day. I'm gonna I got plans. I'm gonna, I got plans. Yeah. You, that's how I get down. I make plans in the dark. Right. When it comes to the light, we're going to win. And I'm going to follow the plan. I'm going to follow the plan. My brother, Equalizer 3 in theaters as we speak. Congratulations to the latest installment. I love the idea of a prequel with John David Washington. It is apropos. He ain't Denzel's son, y'all. He is, but he's not. He's John David Washington. That brother is something special. Spectacular talent. So I'm really rooting for him. Always root for you. I'll see you soon, man. All the best to you, my brother. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate well. you, man. No doubt. The one and only Antoine Fuqua. Director, producer, extraordinaire, right here with Stephen A. on the Stephen A. Smith Show. Equalizer 3 is in, the is in theaters right now.
Once again, make sure to like and follow the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube. Click the bell to get notified of all of our new content. And be sure to pick up a copy of my New York Times bestselling book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances at first takes. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, see you later. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.